Welcome back to the All Hallow School podcast, the place where we talk to staff, parents and pupils to find out more about life at the school. In this episode, we're stepping into the world of creative design with Beren Nelson. Beren is passionate about creative design and this really comes across in this episode. We get to hear about the school projects the children most look forward to and those that Beren looks forward to the most as well, how creative design helps with other subjects in school and how it helps with life outside school too. That's all coming up in the next 20 minutes, so come with me now as we have a conversation with Baron Nelson. Baron, thank you for being here and welcome to this episode of the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm really well, thank you for asking. It's a little bit rainy outside, but apart from that, I'm having a really great day. Thank you for asking. Are you more of a, a hot weather person or a cold weather person? Or uh, put it this way, do you prefer winter holidays or summer holidays? That's a very good question. I think the way that I grew up was I grew up in Newcastle, so I was used to the, the, the cold weather. But I've spent last over 25 years now with my wife, who is Greek. And so I've increasingly spent more and more time in Greece and I've, I've changed my outlook. I now firmly prefer the hot summer holidays. Sounds like she's done a very good job of persuading you towards her preferences. And when you're in Greece, do you prefer Greek islands or mainland Greece? A bit of both. So, so my wife's from the mainland. Um, she's from Athens, but we actually really enjoy going out to the islands. And we, we did that from when we first met. We did a lot of touring around the islands, but we really enjoy doing that with our children now. That's excellent. Now, we're going to run through a few things on this podcast episode. But first of all, I wonder whether you could just share with us a little bit about your own background, about your own experience of school life, where you went to school. I mean, you mentioned about being in Newcastle, but also what your, your own experience of school life was like. So that's a really interesting question. I suppose I spent sort of half my life in the south and half in the north, moving when I was about 12 from around the Bristol area up to Newcastle. So that was a very big change for me, not just with the sort of people, but with the sort of schooling. So, for example, I wasn't doing languages. They were a year ahead on languages. So I hit the ground where people were already been speaking languages for a whole year. So that was quite awkward just for me to settle. But I suppose the main thing for me has been the freedom I got in my dad's workshop from a very early age. So that's really planted the seed about being able to design and make things. I was always fascinated with the way that things worked and structures and taking them apart. I had a really inspirational teacher when I was about nine or ten, and he really helped lay the foundations for you know, those hand skills and promoting those hand skills and making things. And then that carried on when I got to about maybe 13, 14. Again, I mean, how many teachers probably say this? You know, we had inspirational teachers that changed our lives. And it was very, very true in my case. A wonderful man called Mr. Talbot took me under his wing. And I think I was the first sort of student he had had who really wanted to go down that furniture making path, which was his background. Um, mm. So that really, really settled me and was really, really good. I mean, it was a difficult one for me because uh, my dad was an engineer, so I think he, and I was very good, you know, I was an all-rounder, A's in English and maths and sciences and all that. So I think perhaps he had hoped I was going to go down the engineering path, but I just fell in love with making things, using my hands, fell in love with wood. That was me, that was my path. I, I, very, I was one of these lucky people who, who, who found my path quite early on. Awesome. That sounds fantastic. So tell me what you first did then after you left school, after you left the world of education. So, yeah, I travelled from Newcastle down to London to study a degree in furniture design and craftsmanship. 
the High Wycombe area is famously where all the chair makers are from, um, where all the Windsor chairs were made. So it's got a, an amazing tradition of making furniture. That's what I wanted to be. So it was the best place to go. And that's where I went. So I went there to uh, study furniture design and craftsmanship. So how did you end up from there now being at All Hallows? What happened in between those? Well, the short answer is I had a really bad accident, which basically wrecked all the tendons to both of my hands and basically meant I had to give up my career. So I was very young. I was sort of in my early 20s, if not 20. No, nobody ever told me that if you if you just keep working, 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 you can actually permanently damage yourself. And that's what I did. I, I, I just felt invincible. I, I just worked too much, you know, 12 hour days plus extra hours in the evening carving. And I just damaged all my tendons and basically had to give up, give up my career. And that was the end. Of, that was the end of it all. So you damaged your tendons just from working. I, I say just I mean, it yeah, sounds like you were doing yeah, a lot yeah. of work, but it, but it's not like a, an accident or anything. Well, it was an accident in as much as it was a single moment where, where, where I felt them, you know, go. Basically, I damaged one hand and then I couldn't do anything with my right hand physically at all. You know, I couldn't pick up a cup of tea or do anything with it at all. So I had to do everything with my left hand, I had to live, you mm. know, brush my teeth, dress all with one hand. And then, then I wrecked that hand um, because it had to do everything and it wasn't used to it. So basically, that, that's what ended my career. The good news is I'm back to a stage where I can still make things. But I spent many other years in interior design businesses and running shops and, and doing things in between that and teaching. I came to teaching late in my 30s. And how did you find that then, going from a career outside of school to now working in a school teaching young children? Yeah, that's been a really lovely transition. And uh, I've managed to bring with it lots of things that I've learned from the outside world. So it's, it's lovely to have those experiences and be able to relate things like we're making a product. It should look like it's commercially viable. What does that mean? Well, I used to work in a shop it would look like this. It would have packaging, it would have labels, it would need to come with a guarantee. So I feel like I can relate a lot of the projects to real life experiences and Mm. seeing things on a shelf for sale, which is what a lot of DT is about. So bringing an outside school kind of version of life into the school, as opposed to having worked in a small prep school for, for, you know, for your entire career. That's right, but I've also spent a large amount of my teaching time in the state system, and I've also spent time teaching. So my qualification is to teach GCSE and A level. So I've I always said I'd never ever work in a school without A level, and I've so enjoyed working my way down. I really have. <laughs> There's something about the joy and the passion of younger children. They are absolutely so much fun to work with and they bounce into the class um you you don't see that i was up too late last night mr nelson i'm really sorry i'm a bit sleepy that you you sometimes get and other things so the 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 young children passion i absolutely love and i've really enjoyed coming down the the ages so that i'm planting the seeds and in, in in many ways fulfilling what happened to me which was somebody planted a seed really early on and really helped me I'll tell you an interesting one, actually. Just the other day, somebody went by and said, and this is one of the lovely things that you get as a teacher, and they said, so-and-so, do you remember teaching him? He's doing a degree in engineering now. Oh, wow. You know, and, and, I, and, and that happens quite a lot, actually. And you, you just think, oh, I remember them when they were in year five, year six, year seven, and here they are doing a degree in engineering now. So, Baron, tell us a little bit then about the Creative Design Workshop. Let's imagine for a second that I'm listening to this podcast. I've never, ever been into the workshop. How does it actually look? Give me a little tour around. 
Well, that's a, that's a really good question again. So yes, let's say you come in through the front foyer. I've got a, a display area, something I've always wanted, a large area where you can permanently have a variety of displays on, mm -hmm. on show. So I've probably got one, two, three, four, five, about five shelving areas. Two of those are behind glass, so that keeps everything nice and safe. And that gives you a flavor straight away of, of the large variety of things that we produce in the creative center. And then we've got two main rooms. We have a workshop and we have a studio. The workshop has some machinery and hand tools around the outside, four big work areas for the, for the students, four, four tables, one giant bright yellow wall. So that looks, looks very different to what you might imagine, you know, a, a wood shop of the uh, 1960s. Mm. It's, it's much more of a sort of a, a London design studio type feel to it. It's got a lovely wooden floor, really nice architectural details on the ceiling, lots of LED lights. And then the studio is another really big open space, one very large island unit in the middle. And then it's got a, a U-shaped be benches around the outside of the studio and I purposely designed that so that it's a flexible space. So we have mm -hmm. laptops, but then they can all disappear and then we can cover it in electronics or we could have a big meeting or we can cover all the work surfaces in paper and do giant big designs. So it's a very flexible space that we can change. So what would you say the coolest piece of equipment is that you've got in there? Our children equipment, because they're pretty cool. Yeah, I, the, the pupils are, are definitely the coolest thing in the room, aren't they? Because that's where all the interesting stuff happens, isn't it, really? But I suppose, I mean, if I had to pick one piece of uh, equipment for, for a workshop, and I was helping advise a, a school recently setting up a DT department, and they, they, they were going 3D printer. Everybody wants a 3D printer. Everyone knows that really, really cool. Let's get a 3D printer. And I was saying, no, you need to buy a laser cutter. What a laser cutter as one single piece of equipment can do is, is huge. It's very, very quick, and it, it's, it's an amazing piece of equipment. But I suppose you've got to define what cool is. Cool's also usually the new thing, isn't it? That what's new? Mm -hmm. So I do have a new piece of equipment. So from my point of view, that's cool, and and that's called a sublimation printer. Have you have you ever seen those? You know, you can buy a mug with your child's photograph on it, or a, or a t-shirt, or coasters. You yes. ever seen that sort of thing? Yes, I have. Okay. Yes. So so that process is called sublimation printing, and okay. you have a special set of inks that print off, and then you take that photographic image and using heat and pressure mm -hmm. it's pushed into whatever it might be a piece of ceramics it could be metal it could be wood it could be plastic so we've just had a generous donation to the department we have all the kit we spent the end of last year during you know some of the lockdown times that we had experimenting and getting it right and now we're launching it this year and it's in in, in a number of our projects and we're really enjoying using that Wow, that does sound cool. I, I always just figured that that was sort of just printed on in a very crude kind of way, but it sounds like it's not. It sounds like it's more complex than that. Yeah, so instead of the ink just going onto the surface, the way that it works is because of the heat and the pressure, the, the solid ink is turned instantly into a gas, and then those gas molecules penetrate really far and really deep into the substrate, say it's ceramic. So what, what happens is after you've taken that off, you cannot rub that image off the ceramic mug. Because it's not there on the surface, because it's actually exactly. sort of inside it. The molecules of, of ink have bound in, in, into, the, into that material. So it's a um, really cool new piece of equipment. And what age are the children who usually get involved in projects like that? 
So because that's a new piece of equipment, we, we've dropped it into two new projects this year. So that's it with year four and year eight. But I do teach everybody from nursery up. So, you know, we have 10 year groups from nursery reception right up to year eight who Gosh. all get to come and design and make cool stuff. So what's it like for nursery children when they come in? Because I imagine that, that a lot of the tools you can't give to them. So, so what is it that you actually do with them at that age? So nursery, I normally wait until a bit later on in the year. So when they've settled um, in, into All Hallows a little bit. And then they come across and we actually do an electronics project with them. Oh. So we build this little electronic off-center motor. So basically when it goes around, it shakes and jiggles. And then this year we're, we're, we're doing a little vacuum form, little spaceship. And so mm -hmm. you can see inside the spaceship and then they're going to make some characters to go in there. And then the whole thing jiggles and, mm -hmm. and um, you know, and they love it when they turn on all of their little, uh, uh, you know, the, the little motors and they start dancing around the table. It's you need you need some earplugs. The, the, the laughing and the shouting. Because <laughs> they're loving it so yeah, much. Absolutely. But, you know, we do we do we do have from reception, you know, children are using saws and files. You know, there's, there's, there's tools like chisels that you don't give to very young children. But, you know, your basic hammer saw file is, is when you teach it properly, is, is, is safe to use from reception. I guess it's all in the teaching. And if they're taught how to use it properly, then off they go to the races. But uh, I, I guess it's in situations where they're not taught, then that's where the problems can happen. Yeah, it's having a safe environment. It's, it's about being, uh, you know, risk aware rather than risk adverse. Also having the ratios right, the right number of adults to the right number of pupils, that's really important. So what's the project that the pupils look forward to the most, would you say? Well, we've just introduced robotics into year seven and year eight as an extra new part of the offering. So that's in mm -hmm. the curriculum now, and that's generated a lot of interest with uh, pupils. I do a mechanical grabber, which is a lot of fun, and they really enjoy that. So mm -hmm. I, I have a wall with all these really cool grabbers on. So that's something that they look forward to using. When you talk about that, I'm kind of picturing something at a fairground that kind of grabs a cuddly toy. Is maybe, that the right kind of maybe thing? Maybe that's what I should do. You, could, <laughs> you just come up with a nice extension for the project. Yes, we could have a, a wall of goodies that they could try and grab. But yeah, you know, like a litter picker, but they have to pick their target market. So, you know, it might be young children who are in hospital, you know, who need help picking up things. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's nice to link that to people as well. So I've got some pictures of my dad using his grabber in the, like, the last year or two of his life. And then I share that with the mm -hmm. children and I talk about my dad and how, how much time he spent in hospital and how useful his grabber was. And I think linking projects and getting children to understand that we solve problems, we can help mm -hmm. people is a really, really important thing because some people think that designers just make things look pretty. No, that sounds really good to link it to real life situations. And tell me the project that you enjoy working on the most throughout the academic year. I'm always working on something new or bringing something in. So, for example, uh, we're doing a textiles project. So we, this is the first year that we're introducing textiles. I work with an amazing assistant, Sarah Lear, and she's very good with textiles, lots of experience. So I've asked her to develop a project together. And this is a mm -hmm. Japanese-themed textiles project. So it's really exciting for the children to, to start being sewing and looking at making their own fabrics using the sublimation printer. So that's, that's really exciting. And how would you say creative design supports other ways that students learn in other parts of the school? So we, we do have a lot of focus on learning skills at All Hallows. So that's something that we do throughout the school. So one of the things that I've done to support that is embed those into my actual planning. 
So I, I can mm. I can really point at this part of the lesson or this part of the project. We're really focusing on your creativity, uh, your curiosity, your resilience. So we're helping make explicit the fact that those learning skills are really important in these different parts of the project. And, you know, that problem solving, being creative, they're things that we're all, all, all different curriculums are working on. But I really like to pick certain areas and focus on them. For example, being creative. Obviously, it's in the title. When you say have an idea, some people just go, uh, I don't know. How do I have an idea? So teaching children techniques that they can use, you know, that lateral thinking, Edward de Bono sort of stuff. I think that's really important that children understand that and, and have some techniques that they can use to come up with original ideas. Berent, you mentioned about how the children create things that solve a purpose. In what other ways does creative design link with the outside world? So I think it's important that we do things that they can see outside in the actual environment around them. So whether that's a project that we do outside physically or whether it's something that we link with another person. So for example, at the moment, mm -hmm. I'm working with somebody and we're doing some interior design and all the children are making objects out of wood that are going to go on the wall of a restaurant. Mm -hmm. So they're actually seeing that interior design process. I can link it with my background running an interior design shop. Then they actually see a real world, you know, design brief being sent to me that then goes to them so they can see something as a, as a tangible real life design brief but I've also worked with famous mm. artists so Bruce Monroe he's not too far away we've done some projects with him and he's come in and helped teach with me which was fantastic uh, we have guest speakers in so you know we'll have a model maker come in uh, I've had GCSE students come in to talk about the next steps I had a, the Pi Wars winning robotics team come in, which is a microcontroller programmable robot. And they, they brought all their robots in to show all the children. Uh, we go on visits. So Hauser and Worth, we made some really good links with. They're, they're, they're not too far away from us. So we went down there and turned their educational room into a workshop. You know, I took vices down there and, and then we responded mm -hmm. to art installations and made cool stuff. Clarks, Clarks are not too far away from us. So I've done projects with Clarks, you know. Okay. They sent their shoe right. designers in, and, and and you know they, we we've set up projects into together. school. Yeah, very yeah. good. Yeah, they all they all came in, mm. did talks about uh, you know their work. It, there was this amazing moment where uh, I think there was four four children sat in front of the the shoe designers, all wearing shoes that they had designed. It was when the penny dropped, <laughs> and, and the woman went, "I designed your shoes, your shoes, your shoes, and your shoes." And literally, it was no. just it was brilliant. Oh, what a moment! Fantastic. It was fantastic yeah. So yeah, and, and I've got a lot, lot, lot of ideas I'm working on at the moment. So the, the, the big one I'm working on at the moment is a big aviation project. So we're going to go to the Fleet Air Arm Museum and we're going to be making aeroplanes and, and testing them and flying them in the sports hall. Baron, when you're not in school, what examples are there of everyday design that you really respect and admire? I mean, a lot of people talk about Apple products and how fantastic they are from a design point of view. I'm not a designer, so I can't really comment on that. But what's your experience? What are your thoughts on that? Not just Apple, but anything else? Yeah, I mean, uh, I used to be uh, into Apple, but um, I've gone, I've gone the Samsung way myself now. But Jonathan Ive and the work that he's done there is absolutely brilliant, and I do, I do talk about Jonathan Ive as being one of the most influential designers 
so he he was running you know the design there for a long time um, but then again I, I really like looking at the the path you know who was Jonathan Ives hero he really likes Dieter Rams um, have you seen Dieter Rams work then look at what he was doing back in the 50s and you realize actually Apple stuff looks quite a lot like that so what what do I really rate I, I, I do really rate the smartphone I think you know this is one of the most life-changing things that, are, that has come about you know I remember the very first ZX81 coming out good old Clive Sinclair and 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 look where we are now so what do I rate as there's certain aesthetics I really like as well I think Art Deco you know is is often used in movies to as a mm. vision of the future so if you look mm -hmm. at Star Wars movies or you look at you know people's a lot of these science fiction movies I really love the fact that Art Deco underpins a lot of that so yeah mm. I, I rate Art Deco actually as a design movement I have to keep my eyes open for that. Baron, we need to bring this to a close now, but if anyone's heard anything and wants to get in touch about the subject of creative design, what's the best way for them to connect with you or with the school? Well, the, the easiest thing to do is contact me at the school via my email address, bnelson at mm -hmm. allhallowsschool.co.uk. And uh, yeah, I'm always willing to uh, chat to people about the subject. I'm passionate about my subject and I love to share that passion with people. Excellent. Well, thank you for being here and thank you for spending the time giving it up and explaining to us the world of creative design at All Hallows. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Baron Nelson sharing his love of creative design at All Hallows. Thank you, Baron, for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Great hearing all about school life through your eyes. Now, our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.